Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua chapter 18. Joshua chapter 18, we continue our study through the Old Testament. And remember, here in Joshua, we are in the inheritance part. Uh, you know, we've seen that we've studied the, the war footing of Israel. And when we understand the war footing of Israel, remember, it's the second generation that passes into the promised land. And with the war footing of Israel, well, we see that with Achan in the camp, they take casualties. And that's in our study in Joshua 7. It's very important to understand this framework because when we understand the framework and when the formula is very specific and when you see that formula which is specific and we see that applied in individuals in tribes and peoples and then you see the lord's blessings upon individuals tribes and when you see that you understand why and how the Lord works, why the way, why the Lord blesses, how he blesses, why he moves, how he moves. You understand these things. We get a deeper understanding of the nature and character of the Lord. It's very true that the, the, the richness of God's promises, very, very true. Absolutely. Promises on which you and me can lean on. But at the same time, there are effectuators of those things. Remember our study in Ex or in Deuteronomy where the Lord says, I will not forsake you. And in the same chapter, in the very same chapter, the Lord says, I will forsake you. Well, how can that be? How can it be where the Lord says, I will not forsake you. And then he says, I will forsake you. Did the Lord change his mind? The answer is no. The Lord didn't change his mind. The problem was with the people. The people changed their heart. Because when a heart is on fire for the Lord, the promises of the Lord, we can certainly lean on them, but they are effectuated. We can enter those promises. But just like when you see the Lord says, I will not forsake you, but in the same chapter, he says, I will forsake you. It's like, well, what happened? What in the world happened? God didn't change his mind. It was the people. The people changed their heart. You see? And when the formula was wrong in the the heart of the people, when that formula was wrong, all of a sudden, the promises could no longer be effectuated. Now, the effectuation of those promises can certainly be reapplied, but repentance needs, needs to happen cleanliness, purity before the Lord. That must happen. And then you see the activation, operationally operationally speaking, of the priesthood. You see, where the priests, you know, okay, you know, so, so, you know, somebody is impure before the Lord, a tribe, a, a family, a, a, a peoples, they're, they're impure before the Lord. Okay, we got the priesthood. So the priesthood, they have a job to do. They have a role to, 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 uh, uh, unto the Lord, service unto the Lord. And they have a role. And the purpose is so that people can be right with the Lord, where the priest can say, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. The formula isn't right in you, person one, person two, person three. Now let's get you cleaned up. The formula isn't right in you, family. Now let's get you cleaned up. The formula isn't right in you, tribe. Let's get you cleaned up. The formula isn't right in you, Israel. Let's get you cleaned up. You see, the Lord provides a means by which purity can happen and purity once lost can happen again. You see, and it's so powerful. And that's the beauty of repentance. You see, because when our heart is on fire for the Lord, all of a sudden these promises become effectuated. Now, we're looking at the Old Testament, but the same exact process. I really don't like saying process, but I just don't know another word for it. But the same thing happens for you and me as new covenant believers. That's why the Lord says, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, you know, be obedient to my instruction. That's what he says. Do you remember? It just so happens on Sunday when we look at the effectuation of certain things in the church, in the fellowship. You know how, you know, koinonia, how we get to koinonia and how there's the effectuation, how faith can grow 
in, in the life of a Christian, but in the body of a church. And once a church reaches the level of koinonia, which it's very intimate. And once a church reaches that point or that level, I don't like to say level because it, 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 it assumes like exaltation. Really, it's the humbleness, the, the humble heart. And once a church reaches that point, all of a sudden you see the Spirit of the Lord and the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian, in the life of a church, the exact same thing that we see in the Old Testament, the effectuation of promises unto the Lord. And so when you understand the promises of the Lord given to Moses and passed down to Joshua, and then you get into Joshua chapter one and you see the war footing of Israel. And yes, the first several chapters is there's war. It's a, it's, it's, it's fighting. But remember, observe Israel according to the flesh. That's fighting according to the flesh. Rules of engagement under the old covenant. Now, we have rules of engagement still given by the Lord, but it is no longer according to the flesh. It is according to the Spirit. And that's how we fight. That's how the Christian fights and engage. That's how we engage in combat. You see, it's according to the Spirit. That's why when you read the book of the book of Acts and you see Paul, he would fight valiantly valiantly according to the spirit even the demons where the demons would say you know jesus we know paul we know but who in the world are you and he would fight and demons would be cast out and the bible even specifically says that there were unusual things happening by the hands of paul that the lord was doing through paul but then you'd see paul get arrested and okay we're going to jail i'm going to prison you see he wouldn't fight. He would not fight according to the flesh. And he did not fight according to the flesh. But according to the spirit, it's a different ballgame. It's on. According to the spirit. You see, when Paul writes to uh, the pastors, when Paul writes the pastoral epistles and letters to pastors, to Timothy and to Titus and to Philemon as well, little home fellowship, the leader, the teacher of the home fellowship. And to Titus, you know, their mouths must be stopped. Now, he's not saying, hey, Titus, go into town, find these false teachers and beat them up. He's not saying that. He says their mouths must be stopped. And how does Paul, when he gives these instructions to Titus, he says, Titus, you can't keep quiet about this. And you can't go and, you know, mandate this and beat these people up and mandate this. No, but you can go and speak and those with ears to hear will follow you. You see, balls in their court. Just like the balls in your court, Titus. Just like the balls in your court, Timothy. Just like the balls in your court, Philemon. Just like the balls in your court, Demas. It just so happens, Demas, he wasn't for the long term. He was for the short term because he was seduced by the bright lights in big city. You see, same exact, what we see in the Old Testament is exactly the same we see in the New Testament, but it's according to the Spirit in the New, because we are a people of the New Covenant, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law, also fulfillment of promise. Don't forget our study through Galatians. Now, if you're listening for the first time, purpose in your heart, purpose in your heart, to listen to our prior studies from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then our studies through the New Testament because it will help you understand and grow and mature in Christ and understand the nature of our Lord. You see, yes, we can absolutely lean on the promises of God 100%. 3 million percent we can lean on the promises of God. But the question is, are those promises effectuated in you and me? You see, what is it that the Bible says the effectuation of those promises for you and me? Now, once we understand the effectuation, now the ball's in our court. The ball's in our court. Who among us will choose obedience unto the Lord, which is better than the fat of rams, as the word of God says. 
So let's continue on our study. Joshua chapter 18. This is the inheritance part. Joshua 18 verse 1. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh, Shiloh, at Shiloh, and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. Now remember the tabernacle, it's portable. It's not either the, 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 the permanent te- uh, temple that's built by David's son Solomon. We're not there yet. We're going to get there, but we're not there yet. And as it is right now, what's happening is that tabernacle, it was portable. So, you know, they'd be in one position and, you know, the Lord would say, okay, we're going to, uh, you know, uh, 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 we're going to move to this other area. And, you know, they'd break down the tabernacle and very specific, you know, not, not just anybody can, you know, hey, you know, we're, we're going to partake in this. And no, very specific, uh, specific people were tasked with the job of, uh, the, the tabernacle very specific now and that tabernacle the, the, once they get into a new position now the tabernacle of meaning that would be set up again you see and it's so beautiful because when we read in, in the new testament and jesus christ and we see the verb to tabernacle with us and that's the word you know uh, uh, uh to tabernacle with us it's a verb and you know that's what's so powerful for you and me as new covenant believers because that's Jesus Christ with you and me in these temporal earth suits you see in a, 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 a somewhat in a portable context but there is going to be a permanence in our glorified bodies and that day is coming. Those promises are the most sure promises that anybody can ever have are the promises given by the Lord. Those are, that's a sure thing. It absolutely will come to pass. But, but there are effectuators for you and me together to get to that point. You see? And Satan knows that. Satan knows that. So what does he do? He activates his pseudodelphos, his his uh, servants of Satan, the minister. They present themselves as ministers of righteousness. You see? Because Satan doesn't want the effectuators of those promises in anybody because he knows he's going to hell. Satan and the demons, they know that they're going to burn in hell. Now, what they want to do, their objective is to take people with them, God's creation with them. That's what they want to do. You see? And who among us will let that happen? You see? Who among us will let that happen? Now, if you're not a believer, come to Christ. Hit pause, listen to the message, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and commit your life to to Christ right here, right now. Now, if you're not a believer, you commit your life to Christ. But if you are a believer... And you understand this framework of the objective of Satan to drag God's creation to hell. Now, just as we see in in our book, it just so happens that we studied the book of Philemon. It just so happens. It just so happens. How you see how the Lord calls a person into ministry to serve in his kingdom for the advancement of his kingdom. To go and make disciples so that, yes, we understand that Satan knows this holy formula and he wants to drag people to hell with him where he knows he's going, him and the demons. But who among us will say, you know, not on my watch. As for me and my house, that's not happening. Or as for me, that's not happening. But as for me and my house, that's not happening. But then when we get into pastoral ministry or even in a shepherding ministry, teaching ministry to say, that's not going to happen for me. And that's not going to happen for these people either. You see, to train up, to be equipped, to fight the good fight. Don't forget the warrior, according to the new covenant, the warrior Christian, we have Fully equipped weapons of warfare, not carnal, very spiritual. But don't forget, we also have fishing poles. We got the nets because we are fishers of men. Now, 200 years ago, if we were to have this conversation 200 years, 200 years ago, you know, bringing people to Christ, I mean, 
telling people about Jesus Christ. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't want to say like everybody knew about Jesus, but I meant, you know, more than it is today. Today, when the, you see the rise of darkness, you see the, the grip that Satan has in the lives of people. Now you see the equipping. You know, we don't go with little tiny weapon. We go with big weapons, the big guns. And I speak spiritually, very spiritually. I don't speak car- carnally. You see, just like, remember in, you know, when we consider being a fisher of men, you know, to, 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 to take, you know, to, to take baby girl fishing, you know, say, hey, baby girl, we're going to go fishing. And you take baby girl fishing, you cannot take her tuna, fishing for tuna. Because baby girl's going to catch a tuna and bye-bye baby girl. She's going to fly over the boat and she's in the water and, you know, say goodnight. She's done. You see? And that's what happens to baby girl. It's not to say that baby girl can't catch the tuna ever, but baby girl's got to grow. Baby girl's got to mature to where she's able. she got to get the strong legs, the strong back, the strong arms so that she's able to go fishing for tuna. And, you know, scratch that. Able to go fishing for whales. You see, baby girl's got to grow, got to mature. You see, but baby girl can go fishing for little minnows, maybe little rainbow trout. Baby girl can go fishing, but not for the tuna, not yet. You see, baby girl's got to grow and mature in Christ. Well, understand this framework. It's so beautiful because all of a sudden you see the fight. Not just the fight, but winning souls for Christ in very, very dark times. A lot of wisdom is required because, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. Remember the example we gave, you know, like if, if you or me, you and me were, you know, in a, in a car and, you know, we're driving to Southern California. We're going to go to the beaches of Southern California, the nice beaches, you know, we're going to go to the nice beaches in Southern California. And you and me were in Topeka, Kansas. Now, if I were to scream from the, from the top of my lungs, like, watch out for that cliff, you'd think I was crazy, and I would be crazy, because we're nowhere near the cliff. Oh, you know, we're in Topeka, Kansas, and I say, you know, hit the brakes, we're at the cliff, we're going to fly over the cliff and land in the ocean. I would be crazy because we're in Topeka, Kansas, you see? But if that cliff, Laguna Beach, if that cliff, Southern California, if that cliff is 100 yards away, and I were to shout... You know, hit the brakes. We're going to crash into the ocean. We're going to go off the cliff and fly into the ocean. I wouldn't be the crazy one. You see, if you don't hit the brakes, you would be the crazy one. You see, in Topeka, I would be crazy. You see? And in Laguna, you would be crazy. So we have to understand the signs of the times. Because there is an urgency redeeming the times. There is an urgency. You see? It's very of utmost importance to understand. And to have this wisdom that we get from the Bible. Godly wisdom. Holy wisdom. Because to go out in combat without wisdom. Spiritually speaking, to go out in combat... Without wisdom, without equipping, without knowledge, there will be casualties. You see? Don't forget, Satan's a fisherman too. Have you ever seen somebody, they say, oh, you know what? I'm going to go minister to the prostitutes. Surely the Lord wants prostitutes to become Christians. And yes, God does want that. He's not willing that any should perish. And so people say, you know what? I'm going to go give Jesus Christ. I'm going to go give the gospel to these prostitutes. A week later, the guy's a customer. You see, Satan is a fisherman too. Somebody says, oh, I'm going to go minister to these crackheads. Now, 100%, God is not willing that any should perish. He wants those crackheads to become Christians. So the guy says, oh, I'm going to go minister to these crackheads and share the good news. A week later, he's a customer. A week later, he's a crackhead himself. You see, Satan is a fisherman too. But the warrior Christian, called by the Lord, hey, go minister to these prostitutes. 
And when I say warrior Christian, I'm not talking about, you know, little baby. I'm not talking about adolescent. I'm not even talking about mature. I'm talking straight up deadly. Like Paul, like Titus, like Timothy, like Philemon, like Chloe, beautiful Chloe, like Lydia, like Priscilla, Prissa, remember? I'm talking warrior class, Phoebe, men, women, young, old, I don't care. I'm talking not just mature, we're talking deadly warrior. You see? And then you see prostitutes coming to Christ, meth heads, crackheads coming to Christ, all these people of different sectors of society coming to Christ. Remember in our study in the in the pastoral epistles, a peculiar people? You look at a group of Christians, a group of Christians where you have koinonia, you know how weird that group of people is going to look like? Carnally speaking, you know how weird that group of people is going to look like? Christians, born-again believers. But you're going to have former prostitutes, former crackheads. You're going to have nerds. You're going to have white collar. You're going to have blue collar. You're going to have black. You're going to have white and every color in between. You're going to have all kinds of different, you know, the poor, the wealthy. You're everybody, skinny people, chubby people, white collar, blue collar, the techies, the computer nerds and the geeks and the popular kids and this and that and long hair, short hair, bald people, you know, tall people, short people, different color, different. You're going to have everybody. And you look at that peculiar, as the Bible says, a peculiar, just straight up weird. Where like, Culturally speaking, it's like, okay, you know, these are the cool kids over here. These are the nerdy kids over here, you know, and it's kind of like a cafeteria, like a high school cafeteria. And you understand, okay, I know why those, that, that, that group is together. I know why that group is together. I know why that group is together. I know why this group is together. But these weirdos over here, they call themselves Christians and you got everybody. You got nerds, you got the geeks, you got the computer kids, you got the chess, chess club, you got the glee club, you got the, uh, 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 the football players, you have the jocks, you have, you know, the, uh, uh, black people, white people, every color in between, chubby people, skinny people, tall. You got everybody. What is it that brings these people together? It's Jesus Christ. I love it when the Bible says a peculiar people. Because carnally speaking, it's weird. We're peculiar. You ever see a body of Christians? It's like, I mean, sometimes you go to church and you see like, like it's a social club. And then you see how like, you know, there's, you know, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the, 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 the popular people over here and the nerdy people over here. And you see that segregation. That's a sign of carnality. But you walk into a church and you see like, wow, this is like quite the mixture. And it's not just a mixture. It's like, like, remember when I say mixture, carnally speaking, this is a mixture of the flesh, not of the spirit, unity. No mixture of the spirit, unity, the same mind, the mind of Christ. You see, and it's powerful. It's beautiful. And when we understand this framework, there is an inheritance for you and me according to the faith. There is an inheritance for you and me, but there are effectuators. You see, it's to abide in Christ. Satan doesn't want that to happen. Satan does not want that to happen. He doesn't want you or me to understand these effectuators. Number one, I mean, he doesn't want us to be anywhere near understanding effectuators. What are those things walking in obedience? He doesn't want any of us to even be near that. But once a body of Christians get closer to that, he knows that, wow, this group of Christians, they're at that level of koinonia, the love feast. And when they reach that love feast, he knows that the Holy Spirit is just going to bless them with spiritual gifts of the Spirit. Satan knows this. And he fights tooth and nail to prevent that from happening. You see? But 
Even that is prophesied. In the last days, the church must enter crazy town. And what do you see today in the church? Crazy town. And yet, Jesus Christ, in in a verb speaking, how the word of God says to tabernacle with us, this permanency, this portability, this uh, this portability there is a permanency but not yet that permanency is in our glorified bodies which will be effectuated but it's a narrow path there's a narrow way and that's the path that we walk on the narrow way and so we continue our study joshua 18 still in verse 1 So the the, the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them or conquered before them. Remember, this is after the war footing of Israel. Remember the old guys? You know, Caleb is like, you know, I was young and, you know, I was a warrior back then. And, you know, today, you know, I'm an old man. But if if we still got to get it on, hey, I'll fight. And it wasn't in a prideful sense. That was just... Uh, uh, Caleb leaning on the promises of God. Remember when everybody was afraid with that first generation? Everybody was afraid of the Canaanites. You know, these guys are big. They're, they're going to beat us up. My, 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 my torso is the size of the guy's neck. You know, my, my thigh is the size of the guy's pinky. These guys are going to destroy us. And their fear was endemic and spread to the camp. What did Caleb say? Where are they? You know, show me. Show me how many, I don't care how many, show me where they are. I'll go because I'm leaning on the promises of the Lord. And Caleb and Joshua, the only two of that first generation, which passes into the promised land. The only two, you see, effectuators, no fear. Everybody else had fear. The effectuation ceased. You see, the promise was there, but the effectuation, when it ceased because of their fear, The only two that were fearless, Caleb and Joshua. Now you see the effectuation of promises. And so we continue here in verse 2. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Now, we've already looked at the tribes that did receive their inheritance. Now there's more. In verse 3, then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Now, remember in chapter 17, we saw a little bit of turbulence, so to speak, where you see the fear, the hesitation. You see a little bit of murmuring and complaining, little red flags. Not good. Not good. This is the second generation that has passed into the promised land. And you see a little bit of... Murmuring and complaining. And Joshua calls them on it. He calls them on it. You know, just like he says here in verse 3, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? He calls them on it. And then he gives instruction. Very important to see this role of overseer because it's very similar for the overseer according to the New Testament as New Covenant believers. Now, the the role of the overseer, there is absolutely a time to be quiet where, you know, the ball's in your court. People have to choose where a pastor as overseer can teach. And, okay, you know, there's there's a time to be quiet where, okay... This is the word. Now, opportunity to, opportunity to respond to the word. Balls in your court. How will the people respond? And then there's also a time not to be quiet. You see? Not to be quiet. Where, you know, the word goes forth. And take, take a pastor. And the pastor is standing at the pulpit and teaching. And say it's a congregation of 50 people. 50 saints. Now, 30 saints are walking with the Lord and they receive the word and the word is growing forth and they're maturing in Christ and getting closer to becoming deadly and praise be to the Lord. But say there's 20 where you see the works of the flesh, where it's like the word goes in one ear and out the other ear, where the pastor can take a back seat, just like we study with 
with Paul, how he would take a backseat approach where, you know, he would teach and then, okay, backseat and see how the people respond to the word. And in this example where 50 people, 30 people are abiding in Christ and they're growing and maturing, but there's 20 people where it's like, okay, there's a little, a little bit of arrested development that the pastor is noticing. What's happening here? Now, the whole time the pastor is praying. You know, he, he, he sees the people and, you know, and meets the people and, you know, hangs out with the people and blesses the people. And, you know, there's that fellowship time. But, you know, what they don't see is that he's on his face before the Lord. When everybody's nice and sound asleep, you know, everything's, you know, kosher, so to speak. He's on his face before the Lord, praying for the saints. So there's 20 people. 30 are growing and maturing in Christ, but there's 20 people we got issues. They're not maturing. What's going on here? Why is there this arrested development? Why is it that they're not growing and maturing in Christ? And the pastor observes, always praying, always praying. The pastor observes, what's happening here? And in the course of time, a week passes, two weeks, a month passes. And certain things start to reveal themselves. Well, now the pastor cannot be silent. You see? Now the pastor has to speak. And that's what we see here in this role of overseer. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. Very specific functionality in the role of overseer. You see, there is a time to be quiet, but there is absolutely a time to not be quiet. 100% bathed in prayer. Fully bathed in prayer. And so Joshua, he's at a moment here where he's not silent. He says, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out in verse four, pick out from among you three men for each tribe and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts. Now to survey, it's like to describe and write. Kind of like, I mean, if you've ever done survey before, you know, like the, the plum and everything, kind of kind of similar. And, you know, you take a survey and now everything's computerized. Now they have all the lasers. You do the survey and measure out this and mapping and description. Now everything's, you know, satellite technology and lasers. But back in the day, you know, take notes, you know, survey, write, and describe. And that's how this translates in the Hebrew. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. You see, casting lots, no favoritism, no favoritism. And so we see, but the Levites have no part among you. Now, it's the same formula as before. It's not hatred of the Levites where it's like, okay, this is for you and the Levites have no part in this inheritance. Now, there are provisions from the Lord. Provisions, it's from the Lord, but the provisions were for the priesthood. It's a, a separate transaction. Remember when, you know, people would um, make sacrifices to the Lord? A portion of those sacrifices were provision for the priesthood. Where like, you know, people would have to, you know, go, you know, hunting or, you know, take of a certain animal or take, uh, you know, they in, you know, a marketplace and uh, make purchases and this and that where the priesthood because they had a job to do. And their purpose was so that Israel can be clean before the Lord, pure before the Lord. Well, the Lord gave them provisions. You see? So when we see in verse 7, but the Levites have no part among you, it's not to say like, well, the Levites are, you know, left for nothing. No, there's a specific formula. They have provision from the Lord, separate transaction. With Remember, when, whenever you tithe, whenever you make your offerings before the Lord, there's two transactions. First transaction is you and the Lord, sacrificially giving unto the Lord. But then there's another transaction. The Lord unto the pastor, the Lord unto the ministry, the Lord unto the elders. You see? 
the Lord unto those who are shepherding and doing the job that they were called to do. You see? And I love Paul's example because Paul says, listen, I don't want to. He says, you know, I know I have every, I'm able to do it. I'm, you know, biblically, there's provisions where I can do it, but I don't do it. Why? Because freely I have received and freely I give. I like Paul. The money preachers of today, they give guilt trips. The guilt trippers, the money preachers. Oh, you know, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, then you'll write a thousand dollars. You'll make a sacrifice of a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars. And if you're super hardcore and we'll give you a little, a plaque with your name on it. If you want to do a thousand or five thousand, oh, you're awesome. And you know, we'll send you these gifts. The money preachers. You see, the hirelings. And the Bible specifically says, hirelings do not care for the flock. Hirelings do not care for the flock. Now, when you identify a hireling, stay away from him. Nowadays, hirelings are hers, which is, you know, that's completely wrong formula. But when you identify the hirelings, stay away from them. If you're in a church right now and your pastor is biblically identified to be a hireling, jump ship. Because Jesus, red letters, specifically says hirelings do not care for the flock. They care a lot for themselves. They care a lot for their belly. They care a lot for their wallets. They care a lot for their bank accounts and private jets. But they care not for the sheep. You see? And that's what's so powerful. Remember, our, our, our studies through the pastoral epistles, it wasn't knowledge for the sake of knowledge. It was so that the Spirit of the Lord could give us this knowledge so that you and me can know exactly what the formula is in a qualified pastor so that you and me, we know who it is that we can safely submit ourselves to and knowing that this guy, he's going to help me walk the narrow path. You see? He's going to help me as a pattern to follow, as a pattern to emulate. The Bible says there are these men who God has. God, the Lord, he has them as patterns to emulate, patterns to follow, patterns to copy. You see, and when you understand the formula, you know this is the guy. This is the guy. Remember, overseer capacity, the home is open for investigation. What does the wife look like? What does the kids look like? You see? Now I say look like, like, you know, carnally speaking. I mean, like, you know, is the wife on crack? Is the daughter a crackhead? Is the son a crackhead, sex head? You know, everything is open for inspection. You say, oh, we're not supposed to judge. What? Listen. All the derivatives of crino, the three biggies, crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Only crino is forbidden. Anacrino, diacrino, those are in play, which means we have to make a judgment. We have to make a determination. Judgment is such a big word, such a buzzword today. Oh, I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge. So look, you do you. Oh, I don't want to judge. I don't want to judge. So look, you do your truth. Well, if that's your truth, okay, do it. Your truth is, you know, uh, uh, it's a, a catchword today, but it's still a lie. Whenever you hear people say, oh, it's your truth, it's your truth. No, they're just candy coating a lie. They're trying to paint over lie. Gloss over lie. It's like makeup on something ugly. You see? That's what it is. It's a lie. Oh, it's your truth. It's your truth. You be you. You know, you do you. It's your truth. It's still a lie. Remember Pontius Pilate, cuides veritas? When he's looking truth right in the face? Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, no one, no one comes to the Father but through him. One way. You see? One way. 
And so we continue in our study here. In verse 6, you shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring this sur- and bring this survey here to me so that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites shall have no part among you for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. Then the men arose to go their way. And Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by the cities, or uh, by cities, and came, and they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. In verse 11, Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, Benjamin, came came up according to their families. And the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Their border on the north side began at the Jordan, and the border went up to the side of the Jericho on the north and went up through the mountains westward. It ended at the wilderness of Beth Aven. Now, remember, 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 the Lord, the Lord is establishing borders and giving inheritance. Now, we're reading through these verses, and you know, like in verse 11 and verse 12, we kind of like flew through these verses, but... It's very important that these verses, they're a loaded, loaded, loaded subject matter. Do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our study in Exodus when Moses was on the top of the mountain and Joshua in the cloud and Joshua was on the outside of the cloud, you know, still on the mountain with with, with Moses, but outside of the cloud? Do you remember? Now, To get from that point to here, it's loaded. To get from the top of the mountain in the cloud with Moses and Joshua is right there with them, but outside the cloud. To get from that point to here, it's so loaded. A lot has happened, good, bad, and ugly, and in some cases, very ugly. A lot has happened to get from that point to here. And so, I mean, like, you know, we, we read through verse 11 and verse 12, and it's like, you know, you, you hear it, and you're like, okay, we, we, we flew through these verses. And yes, we flew through these verses, but they're loaded, especially when you reflect back to the promises of the Lord, which surely can be leaned on. I mean, when, when, when Moses in the cloud, they can surely be leaned upon. But when you look at the effectuators, now, of those two, Moses has died already. Of those two, it's just Joshua. You see? When you see the effectuation, don't forget, Moses had his moment of disobedience before the Lord in misrepresenting the Lord. You see? It's hardcore. It's powerful. And when we understand you and me together, those effectuators. Now, don't forget the glory, the transfiguration when Moses was at the transfiguration. Effectuators of promise, but you see heirs of Abraham according to promise. Now you see something else where it's like, okay, now you see certain, uh, dare I say, uh, loopholes of the law. You see? Loopholes of the law. Yes, loopholes of the law. And these are things that we're going to study. It just so happens. These are things that we're going to study in depth in our study, in our Sunday studies as we begin the book of uh, Hebrews. You see? Loopholes in the law. And so we continue in verse 13. 
I mean, some of these verses we're just going to fly through. And as we fly through them, it's like, okay, we're going to fly through them. And yes, there's going to be names and cities that we mention. And you're going to say, oh, wow, I remember that city. Or, you know, we're going to be like two years into the future and look back and remember this city. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember in the inheritance passages in Joshua. I remember, I remember, I remember. And so we're going to fly through these verses. But as we do, remember how loaded these verses are in terms of promise. And to get from that moment with Moses and Joshua on the mountain, when all Israel was defiled, all Israel was defiled. And to get to this point, the moment of inheritance. And even when you go even further back into the past, before the mountain with Moses and Joshua, and you go to Abraham, promises of God unto Abraham. You see? Even when you reflect on, you know, when when the Lord would speak to, you know, certain people and say, you know what, this isn't for you. This is for a future generation. It's not for you. See, understanding that lineage of righteousness passed on generation to 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 generation, and here we are. You see, and it goes further. You and me passing on to the next generation. Them passing on to the next generation and you and me occupying until he comes, just as he said. And so we continue here in verse 13. The border went over from there toward Luz to the side of Luz, which is Bethel, southward. And the border descended to Ataroth Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of lower Beth Horon. Then the border extended around the west side to the south from the hill that lies before Beth Horon southward, and it ended at Kirjath Be'al, which is Kirjath Jearim, a city of the children of Judah. This was the west side. The south side began at the end of Kirjath Jearim, and the border extended on the west and went out to the, to the spring of the waters of Neftoah. Verse 16, then the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies before the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is in the valley of Rephaim on the north, descended to the valley of Hinnom to the, to the side of the Jebusite city on the south and descended to En-Rogel and it went around from the north, went out to En-Shemesh and extended toward Geliloth which is before the ascent of Adumim and descended to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then it passed along toward the north side of Arabah and went down to Arabah and the border passed along to the north side of Beth Hogla. Then the border ended at the north bay at the Salt Sea at the south end of the Jordan. This was the southern boundary. The Jordan in verse 20 was its border on the east side. This, this was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin. According to its boundaries all around, according to their families. Now the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin, according to their families, were Jericho, Beth Hogla, Emek Keziz, Beth Arabah, Zem Araim, Beth El, Avim, Para, Ofra, Hefar, Hamoni, Ofni, and Gaba, 12 cities with their villages. Gibeon, Ramah, Beroth, Mizpah, Kefira, Mosa, Rekem, Irpeel, Tarala, Zela, Elev, Jebus, which is Jerusalem. Beautiful, beautiful Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. Gebeath. Kirjath, 
14 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin according to their families. Now, we've already reached the end of the chapter. But if you've been walking with us for a while, you can see, I hope you can see, I pray you can see what a loaded subject matter this is. To get from Moses and Joshua on the mountain, to get from that point to here. And if you've been walking with us for a really long time, you remember promises to Abraham. And to get from that point to here, it's no small thing. No small thing in any way, shape, or form. Now, in closing, turn with me really quick to Zechariah chapter 4. The book of Zechariah chapter 4. In the book of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. For who? Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. For who has despised the day of small things. Who is it? Who is it that has despised the day of small things? I love this verse. I don't want to lord over anybody's walk with the Lord. But if you have a highlighter, highlight that first part. For who has despised the day of small things? I love how there's moments in our studies in the Bible where the Lord says, you know, is this a small thing? Is this a small thing? Is this a small thing? Is that a small thing? Because in the eyes of the Lord, it's not a small thing. Who has despised the day of small things? You look at the disciples walking with Jesus Christ. Lord, we're just... We're just fishermen, you know, I'm, I'm just a fisherman, Lord. What? And look, there's not even a lot of us. You see, look at Hannah, Samuel, Moses. Look at all these beautiful things that happened. What the Lord did, seemingly with the small thing. Oh, it's just a burning bush, no big deal. Oh, it's just a burning Moses all by himself in the wilderness with the, I shouldn't say all by himself. I mean, who was all by himself in terms of, you know, just him. <laughs> but, you know, there was a flock there. And then the bush starts to burn. He could have just, okay, that's, that's interesting and kept moseying along. But no, he stopped. And he went to observe closer. You see, and that's what's so beautiful about your encounter with the Lord. I mean, if you're a believer, praise be to the Lord. But if you're not a believer, you might be like, you want nothing to do with Christianity. And a lot of times when I talk to people who want nothing, they say, I want nothing to do with Christianity. And I, oh, can you tell me why? You know, I don't hate you, but you know, tell me why. And then they tell me, well, it was because I was in the church and they start to fill in the blanks and okay, then I get it. I understand. And they think it's somewhat strange when I say, look it, I'm on the same boat. I'm in agreement with you. I'm in agreement with you. Because according to that doctrine, I don't want you to, to have anything to do with that doctrine. But there's a problem. That wasn't biblical Christianity. You see? If you're listening and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, just like Moses, he was just working, tending the flock of Jethro. He sees the burning bush and he stopped. And then he approaches to observe. And it was then where the Lord spoke to him. You see? And that's what's so powerful about an encounter with the Lord. You could be Buddhist. You could be Hindu. You could be Catholic. You can be whatever. You can be Reformed. You can be Mormon. You can be whatever. You can be agnostic. You can be atheist. You can be Satanist. I don't care. Male, female, young, old. I don't care. 
You hear the word of God. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you stop in your tracks. And you observe. And it's so powerful because that's how every single one of us encounters the Lord. You see? Remember, the Bible says light came into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that he who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And you hear that. I don't care whatever walk you're in. You might be prostitute, crackhead, Buddhist, Mormon, Catholic. You could be whatever. And you hear that. God so loved the world? Yes. God, let's, yes, he loves the world. But let's boil it down. God so loves you. God so loves you. You see? Well, if God loves, if God loves like you say he loves, then what needs to happen? Well, remember, there are effectuators. Now comes repentance. Once you understand that, yes, light has come into the world, now there's, okay, how, how do we respond? How do we respond? And I tell you, love the light. And that light is the Lord. Just like Moses observing the light from the burning bush and it stops you in your tracks. You you mean to tell me that God can love me? I mean, you might pose the question. You mean to tell, look, I'm a prostitute. Look, I'm a crackhead. Look, I'm a Buddhist. Look, I'm a Catholic. I'm a Mormon. I'm Reformed. I'm, you know, Buddhist. I'm Krishna. I'm atheist. I'm Satanist. And you mean to tell me that God loves me? Yeah. Point blank. Yes. I mean, that alone is arresting. Just that notion. Now the ball's in your court. You see? The question is, do you believe? Do you believe these words that I tell you? Remember, the ball's in your court. Once you know, the ball's in your court. Do you believe? You say, yes, I believe. I mean, if you say, no, I don't believe, I mean, you're, you're going to break my heart. You will break my heart. You say, no, I don't believe. Okay, you're going to break my heart, but I got a little smirk. You know what that smirk is? There's tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. But now that you understand the balls in your court, and I pose this question to you, do you believe? Remember, we're already arrested at the very notion that God, the creator of all things, that he loves. Yes, he loves the world, but we've boiled it down to just you. And then I pose the question, do you believe? Do you believe this very notion? Remember the whole time, balls in your court. And you say, yes. Just like Moses. Just like Moses who says, yes, when the Lord says, remove your sandals for the place where you stand is holy ground. He could have walked away. He could have turned around and says, okay, that's nice. I'm done. I got to go tend the flock. But no. The Lord says, remove your sandals for the place where you stand is holy ground. And what does Moses do? He obeys that voice and removes his sandals. And he believes in the Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Israel, who has a son. Now, today, as New Covenant believers, or in the New Covenant, he doesn't say, you know, 
remove your sandals. He says, repent and be born again. So the ball's in your court. Remember, we were already arrested. The arresting notion of, yes, God, the creator of all things, loves you. We're already arrested. Now the ball's in your court. You see, and you hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. I don't care about Mary. I don't care about Buddha. I don't care about prostitution. I don't care about meth. I don't care about crack. I don't care about cooking spoons. I don't care about goofballs. I don't care about the lions. I don't care about strippers. I don't care about stripping. I don't care about Krishna. I don't care about Mormonism, what your Calvinism, I don't, I don't care. You're a criminal, I don't care. Now, once you come to Christ, we might have to call the cops. But I don't care. We're talking about your soul. You see? And you hit pause and you go to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Christ. And praise be to the Lord. You know why? Because you do that and you, my beautiful friend, are now my beautiful brother, are now my beautiful sister in Christ. Crack, no crack. I don't care what you've done. Prostitute, no prostitute. I don't care. Buddha, no Mary. I don't don't care. Those days are over. That's the old man. That's the old lady. I don't care. We are new creations in Christ. You see, wherever you are in the world, I don't care. I mean, I care, but I meant like, you say, wait a second, but it's just me. Why would the creator, God, the creator of all things, why would he care about little old me in my little corner of the woods, in my little corner of the world, in my little corner of the city? Why would he even care about me? Well, that's what he wants me to tell you. That's why he called me into ministry. To tell you that yes, he does. Just like we see in verse 10. Who in the world has despised the day of small things? Not us, not you, not me. Yeah, I'm in my corner of the world. You're in your corner of the world. What of it? Is it a small thing? Seemingly small thing. But in the eyes of the Lord, it's no small thing. It's not a small thing. But it's just little old me and, you know, way over here. And? And I don't say that to be mean or to be rude or mean-spirited. I I just mean it like I say it. And? You see? All these beautiful moments in the holy word of God when the Lord makes himself known. I mean, look at Rahab, a prostitute in her little corner of the world, her little corner of Ai. And look, salvation. Redemption. Safety, peace. When everything was crumbling around her, literally everything was being destroyed around her. And yet she had safety. And the same can apply to you. The effectuators of God's promises. For who has despised the day of small things? I mean, look at in our study in Joshua. I mean, we've we've flown through these verses, but is it a small thing? It's like, well, we read like five verses in five seconds. But when you remember the history of 
promises of the Lord and you've been walking with us for a while, you realize like, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. This is no small thing. Just as the word of God, who in the world has despised the day of small things? Let it not be us. Because God is at work. In these last days, God is at work. Among the remnant. Verse 10 here in Zechariah 4, For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Your little corner of the world? The eyes of the Lord see you. Your little corner of the continent of Africa, your little corner in the Middle East, your little corner in America, your little corner in South America, in China, in Russia, in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, your little corner in Dubai, your little corner in Saudi Arabia, your little corner in Jamaica, your little corner corner in Israel, Cyprus, Italy, Greenland. The eyes of the Lord scan to and fro. Remember Amos? I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. That's what Amos said. I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm just a guy. What does the Lord say? Amos, you're my guy. You see, the Lord sees it all. Your little corner, in the city, in the forest, in the desert, in the woods, in wherever. Don't despise the day of small things. Because in the eyes of the Lord, look at what he does. Look at what he does with small things. You see? Look what he did with 12. Look what he did with Moses. Seemingly alone. But he wasn't alone. Intimacy with the Lord. Look at what he did with Hannah. Seemingly alone. Nathaniel. You see? What about you? You come to Christ. The good shepherd. Because God so loves you, my beautiful friend. You come to Christ. You commit your life to Christ. And we journey together. Narrow path on our way to paradise. You see? To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.